Hi, my name is Michael Poli, and I've never seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer. My friends are obsessed and always make jokes and references to it. And so now, 20 years later, I've been convinced to watch the show from beginning to end, one episode a week. I'm a Buffy virgin. Hi, and uh, welcome to Season 3, Episode 12, Helpless of Buffy Virgin. I am your host this week, Dennis St. John, horror cartoonist, uh, and we have today the Virgin, Michael the Virgin Poli. I'm the Virgin. I've only seen up to season three, episode 12, Helpless, of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And we have John Teach Landis. <laughs> Good evening, everyone. Uh, so we are going to, Travis is not with us today, but he did provide the summary and some notes. So we're going to jump right into the summary. Take it away, Travis. Season 3, Episode 12, Helpless. Buffy and Angel are fighting in his candlelit mansion, formerly headquarters of all things evil. Angel is finally wearing a t-shirt, and Buffy is wielding a loaf of bread. They joke about satisfaction, or lack thereof in Angel's case. It's Buffy's big birthday week, and her dad is going to take her to the ice show, and she's cautiously optimistic that this year is going to be better than last year. Before that happens, Giles has to quiz B about crystals. Yes, crystals. You see, little did Giles know that Buffy was going to be the good slayer, and he's putting all his energy into her training. Faith has just gone on walkabout. Buffy goes out patrolling later, but she appears to be hit by a mystical force and loses all of her superheroine strength and almost ends up on the wrong side of Mr. Pointy. Giles isn't concerned about this, which should be concerning because that guy frets and sweats over the littlest of problems. But Buffy, well, she's got the ice show to think about, and handfuls of cotton candy feel within her reach. Buffy has smartly put a moratorium on formal birthday parties this year. Unfortunately, her father has bailed on the evening with his daughter, but leaves her two tickets to go to the show. Thanks, Dad. Much like any regular nerd, Buffy tries to convince everyone around her that her love of ice skating is completely normal. Like, real respectable people are into it. However, Buffy's literal asking Giles to take her to the rink is flatly ignored, which would normally be pretty sad in and of itself, but then he drugs her. She thinks she has just zoned out, but he's used crystal magic. She then goes home to sleep it off, she thinks. The next day, Buffy and Willow are talking about Amy. Yes, the witch Amy. Turns out, she's still a rat, but uh, <laughs> Willow's working on it. Stay tuned, I guess. Anyways, Buffy sees a guy assaulting or intimidating Cordelia, and she goes to break it up. But, uh-oh, he pushes her violently to the ground like she was a dandelion. Cordy then goes on the attack as Willow helps Buffy get up. Buffy is terrified, and Giles just doesn't care. She feels like she is not the Slayer, which makes sense because her father figure, <clears throat> watcher, <clears throat> Giles, is actively betraying her for an archaic so-called tradition going on 1,200 years. What does the council have in store for a Slayer that has prevented two apocalypses, a drugged-up vampire, and some sort of tomb? Happy birthday. But things go awry and the monster escapes from the tomb. Angel gives Buffy a book, which she likes. She does like the book. But then Angel has to break the ice that he saw her before she became a slayer and that he loved her because he could see her good heart. He wanted to keep her safe, put his heart on her warm heart, yada, yada, yada. Buffy realizes that while this is sweet, in some ways this is pretty darn yucky because she was barely 16 at the time. Predictably, the insane vampire breaks free after turning one of the hapless council helpers into another vampire. But he still wants to play the game and kill a weakened slayer because he's crazy 
and she's a weakened slayer. Buffy is walking home alone and is sexually harassed by some random guys and then is violently harassed by the crazed vamp. Barely getting out alive, she jumps in Giles' car and, dro- and he drops a bombshell and reveals that he injected her with the drug to remove her strength for the cruciamentum. That's this terrible ritual. Buffy asks who he is and how could he ever do this to her? He prattles something about tradition and asks her to listen to him and yeah, she's not going to do that. In fact, if he touches her again, she'll kill him. Cordelia shows up and gives Buffy a ride home to an empty home. Yep, this day just got worse. Her mom's been kidnapped. She loads up her sweet attache to do battle and get her mom back. Kralik and her fight. That's the crazy vamp's name, Kralik. And she ends up tricking him into drinking holy water and making him go poof. However, there still was one more vampire out there, and Giles in the nick of time stakes him. The evil head of the Watcher's Council fires Giles. But as he wasn't getting in the newsletter or getting to go to the work retreats anyways... That's probably not so much of a big deal. However, he says that he's sending a new watcher for Buffy. That probably is a big deal. Buffy doesn't give one hoot and tells him to bite her. She seems to forgive Giles, which I guess is what happens when you really don't have a good father figure around. Uh, you kind of have to make lemonade out of lemons. Maybe he won't drug her anymore. That would be a nice birthday gift since he didn't get her anything for her birthday. <laughs> uh, thank you, Travis, um, for providing that and for... Once again, not understanding that the summary is shorter than the episode. <laughs> <laughs> he made a good point, though, that uh, Giles didn't get her anything for her birthday. I didn't notice that. Yeah. Uh, birth- another birthday betrayal. This uh, was barely a birthday episode. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like they make such a big deal about all the parties in the show. where like, oh, it's so-and-so's thing. And like, totally ignored, basically. Yeah, well, I think what happens on birthday episodes isn't just that, like, bad things happen, because that's every single episode, but that she's specifically betrayed on her birthday by someone she loves, right? <laughs> so, like, season two, it was Angel. Who knows who it'll be in season four or five? Oh, that's a good point, Dennis. Every birthday, she's betrayed. <laughs> uh that's a birthday tradition. All right, let's move on to great lines. I gave myself three... Um, so prepare for my impressive impressions. Ice is cool. It's like water, but it's not. I feel like (laughs) in that line, Oz is like channeling ICP a little bit. (laughs) Magnets, how do they work? (laughs) We're still learning who Oz is. Um, from the end of the, from the end of the episode, Buffy's, um, if I was at full strength, I'd be punning right now. I like that line too. That's the only one I wanted for myself, but I saw it up there. That one's great. Sorry. Um, And from the vampire Kralik, she's dead to me now, mostly because I killed and ate her. (laughs) Uh, I enjoyed uh, when Buffy said, I'm way off my game. My game's off the country. It's in Cuernavaca. Because I had to look up what the hell she was saying because I didn't never... Have you heard of the city of Cuernavaca before? No. It is the 48th largest city in Mexico. Wow. Um, it's the capital of the state it's in, though. So there's yeah. that. That's wonderfully obscure. I was it? Off by that one, too. <laughs> uh, all right, let's move on to weird noticings and trivia. I assume that there's going to be a fun tune playing. Um, all right, I have the first. I say uh, Buffy and Angel are getting some serious wrestling in. Uh, remember back in Lover's Walk when she was like, I shouldn't see you anymore. <laughs> yeah. 
They keep oh, like yeah. saying, let's not date, but let's have uh, sexy exercise together. <laughs> That's happened more than once now. Yeah, it used to just be Tai Chi. Now it's just some straight up bread poking. <laughs> bread poking is a really gross Man, euphemism I was, for something. I, you know, the thing is though, I, I like it more now. Like I like that I enjoyed that scene a lot. And I know that they're not supposed to be together, but the show doesn't give a shit that what they say. <laughs> It's like they're going to be together. Uh, yeah. It's a fun scene. I like the chemistry they have now more than previous chemistries. That's cool. Mike's coming around on. Well, I mean, I, just, I have no control over what the show decides to do. I'm, I feel like a prisoner in an MST three K like scenario. <laughs> things. Then like, yeah, okay. It's fine. I like it. Uh, <laughs> prisoner. <laughs> Uh, I mean, for some of these, this episode made me so angry, but we can talk about it later. Right, we'll get into that. Yeah. Um, John? Yeah, I want to talk about this scene, and I want to talk about Buffy and Angel's recipe for, I guess, a not romantic evening, but I want to compare it against Willow's recipe for a romantic evening in a previous episode. So when Willow decides to have a romantic evening with Oz, she gets together like a couple candles, a very white record, and some 7-Up. Like, we figured out that was her <laughs> recipe for a romantic evening. Now, yeah, I wanted to say... Velvet, right? Yes, yes. And the dress. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, Buffy and Angel, who are trying not to be romantic, here's what they got together. One sparring match, one bunch of green grapes, one bunch of red grapes, one bottle of, I think, seltzer water, four apples, one bread wedge of brie cheese. We'll get back to that. At least three baguettes that's a lot of baguettes for two people <laughs> there's a there's a fire in the fireplace and uh if you pause on the wide shot and count there are 24 candles that you can see in one shot that's amazing john no let's there's I, electricity in the building you can see through to the other room that there's electricity in the building so it's not they don't have to light 24 candles no, Angel's all about fire. That's definitely like his big jam, right? And one of the few things that can kill him. Yeah. <laughs> so totally smart thing to be into. Sun. Of course he's going to have a thing with candles. Okay, that's fair. Um, I'll be honest. I've seen this episode so many times or whatever. I never really noticed that she was staking him with bread until like Travis's summary. I just <laughs> assume if Buffy's like shoving something into Angel, it's a steak. That'd be weird, kinky. Um, yeah, so this is totally not romantic, all this stuff. Uh, I, I guess it's not. Something happens. But like, if I'm lighting 24 candles, I feel like uh, I'm expecting something to happen. But with all this setup, I really expected Angel to come to Buffy's rescue in this episode. But he's kind of a non-event. It's just like a romantic setup that doesn't get any payoff. Which is... <laughs> I mean, it's lovely. I enjoy the chemistry, but where's Angel when she really needs him? I think instead, like in the second Angel scene, he gave her the like confidence to like go and fight, even though you don't have power, right? Which is oh. a dangerous thing. Maybe. Oh, no, I, I buy that. Gave him the confidence. I mean, she doesn't have to like remember back to, there doesn't have to be an imaginary angel confidence, uh, like apparition that tells her that she has the power. That's fine. <laughs> Uh, I'm cool with her just being confident. <laughs> That's fine. Um, so what is this d- deep history of uh, Buffy and Bree, buddy? Yeah, I want to talk about Buffy and Bree. So uh, I would like to 
give a brief history of the connections between Buffy and Bree that we know about so far. So okay. far, because it, yeah. this is going to be an ongoing story. I don't know. I, I, I'm just, these are all very, very minor mentions, but I feel like there might be, I don't know, maybe it's leading to something is all I'm saying. Okay, so leading in October 1998, Dead Man's Party airs. Xander and Claudia agree <laughs> that Brie is gross, and that's why um, they don't want to have a, a gathering or whatever uh, is the lowest on Oz's, like, tiers of party types, right? Mm-hmm. So they agree that Brie is gross, which it's not, but that's what they think. And then in November of 98, the episode Homecoming airs. And in that episode, Buffy is listing all of the contenders for the Homecoming Queens, all of their strengths and weaknesses. One of Cordelia's weaknesses is Brie. So she's already mentioned she doesn't like it. So it's her weakness, presumably because she's scared of it or something. And then in this episode, Helpless, Buffy and Angel enjoy Brie as part of their indoor not-sexy picnic. Are they trying to ward off Cordelia in some way? Is that a possibility? I don't know. Okay, so f- flash way forward. September 2007, comedian Allison Brie stars in a Buffy parody sketch called Muffy the Vampire Slayer that was created as part of a failed pilot for uh, like a TV spinoff show, a, a, t- a spinoff to Not Another Teen Movie. It's called Not Another High School Show. Have you seen this pilot? It's on YouTube. No, it's really bizarre. I've seen only the Muffy clips, actually. Uh, yeah, and they're terrible. It's can totally I watch googling. It? Is, it, is it spoiler free? It's spoiler free. Great. It's real dumb. Well, I'll uh, touch that. But interestingly enough, Allison Brie is in that, and uh, Jennifer Lawrence is in it, and uh, Andy Dick is not in that sketch, but he's on that show. So Andy Dick, interesting. Actually, not at all interesting. But what's the pattern? What's the Brie code? Can we crack the Brie code is my question. Uh, next time we see you, you're going to have like a whole like chart in yep. the background. Like the, the threads connecting it, like the yeah. beautiful mind. Like, yeah, that's the sign that I've... No, it's the clearly edge. a thing. Is there reference to Brie in other Joss Whedon shows? Is Brie I don't know. I've not been looking for sometimes? it. Well, it's like, it's either very gross or very romantic, right? Mm. So it's like, it's on both sides of the spectrum in the same universe like so they're inconsistent about its usage it's gross it's a weapon but it's also super romantic so that might be it but let's dig deeper keep your eyes open for brie everybody all right what about <laughs> other types of cheese i don't know yeah like, maybe maybe it's a swiss, cheese pattern would swiss poke holes in this brie theory oh <laughs> i can't believe you're reacting to that you guys are great you should have a separate cheese podcast <laughs> Cheese and television with John Landis and Dennis St. John. (laughs) So uh, Angel uh, admits in this scene that he was apparently sexually attracted to Buffy when she was even younger. Yeah. And everyone's so excited about this. It's that's the weirdest thing to me is just that Buffy doesn't react to that weirdly. Like we already knew that because we'd seen the flashbacks. Like Actually, Buffy's-, okay. Buffy's initial reaction makes sense because what Angel says, "I watched you, and I uh, and I saw you called. It was a bright afternoon out in front of your school. You walked down the steps, and I and I loved you." And <laughs> Buffy's reaction is, "Why?" <laughs> Which is fair. And then then she's okay with it after that, but she does ask why. He gives the heart speech. Yeah, he gives her the little that heart she, speech. Then she hugs and says, "That's beautiful." 
or taken literally. Incredibly gross. It's gross either way. <laughs> okay, well then she has the right reaction to it. It's just like it was a, it was a wonderful surprise for me to hear that he was attracted to her from the first moment, which is like something you reveal to someone like when you're in a relationship, right? And like you finally get to say I love you, they love you back and you're like, "Oh, and then there's this moment where you talk about the first time you were attracted to each other, right? Where it's like, it's safe to say this first time when it would be creepy, you know, to talk about it. earlier, it wouldn't work. And he discussed that. They're long past that moment. So they can totally discuss this, but it was just like, she doesn't really have a first moment. I was attracted to Angel thing to say back. <laughs> it's just like, he has his moment, <laughs> which is like years before she even saw him. He's, yeah. like, he's like, yeah, I was watching you. You were 12. And uh, yeah, that was my moment. I had a lot of black paint on my car so that I could watch you during the day. I just can't. No, it's terrible. I mean, that shit. I don't know. Again, that it's much better now. Well, He's she's two hundred something, and she's how old she is she now? Turned, she just turned eighteen. Turned eighteen. Okay. Or, um, it's a dyke, not a duck. Okay, it's fine. <laughs> He's fine. Uh, Such uh, a creep. So, Angel's a creep. So moving on to my, to my next thing here, like. Uh, I know this is what the episode's about, but like Buffy is off her game and what's going on. Like I wrote this down and paused <laughs> the, the show while I was watching it. Cause I was like, when Buffy gets like defeated almost by a vampire in the, I think it's the cold open, right? Yeah. It's like, what the fuck is going on? I, I was really concerned <laughs> and uh, I was looking for things going on. And then the angel situation doesn't like kind of, you know, obviously this gets explained, but uh, it was, was really concerned <laughs> yeah yeah it, it, and it the ends, reveal on this episode's right? great <laughs> like it, it goes to the ending without um you seeing the resolution is that what happens uh it doesn't really get resolved i mean we see let's get to it later i mean just the giles stuff is so disappointing okay i just i also like in that fight that we when we see it the vampire is falling down the kid slide and I was just like, how did Buffy lure him up the kid's slide to begin with? <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Also, we're back on this playground. This playground should be, there should be a warning zone around this thing. This is where the two dead kids were found last episode. Yeah, this this is, is where Drusilla almost killed a kid. This is a fucked up place, this playground. <laughs> uh, I say, um, Buffy loves ice show and has daddy issues. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I know she described the way she describes her father to Angel is like a joke, but that is a legit weird way to describe your dad. How does she describe her dad? Oh, she was like, I have a date with an older man. He's terribly handsome and he likes it when I call him daddy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was creepy even as a joke, I thought. (laughs) Yeah. I think even Angel's like, oh, okay. uh, (laughs) Correct. Although, again, Angel is that guy, so whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot of weird older adults in Buffy's life. Yep. Or not in her life. Um, my next comment is, uh, Faith is on a walkabout. Uh, Giles is not being a good caregiver to her. That They're just allowing this. Um, and speaking of bad caregiving. Yeah, so... Uh, We don't really have a segment to talk about this stuff, but I'm sure it's going to come up where there's Buffy news. But, you know, Eliza Dushku came forward in the last week. This is a bad transition. We know it's bad. Yeah, sorry, uh, everybody. (laughs) Sorry, everyone. With allegations against her stunt coordinator for the 1994 film True Lies, Joel Kramer, the stunt coordinator, she said molested her when he was 36 and she was 12 years old. 
So he said that he uh, manipulated her parents and her to get alone with her in a Miami hotel room, allegedly got naked, initiated unwanted physical contact with contact with her on a bed. Kramer denies it, obviously. And we'll see how this plays out. I mean, this just came out. Uh, Jesus. Yeah. Um, so if you're listening to this show, James Cameron directed true lies says he knew nothing of this was going on. She apparently talked to her parents and then later suffered an injury to her ribs and a stunt gone wrong. The same day that her friend talked to Kramer uh, suggesting it was no accident. So we'll see how this comes out, but like, it's a really crazy story in the me too kind of movement. It makes me really sad and grossed out. Yeah. And I just think, I think we maybe just want to say that like our hearts go out to you. Eliza, um, and we're sorry that this happened. We're sorry you're on walkabout during this episode that you have to be on walkabout. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, John? Wow. Okay. I mean, I guess this entire episode is about creepy, horrible men. I mean, it's just, I guess. Ugh. So, of course, we are the right people to talk about. Yeah. This. Thank God we've got three dudes to sit around and talk about that. This was. Uh, that's what the world needs. This was plan yeah we didn't plan this so uh i just wanted to point out that for whatever it's worth uh cordelia has her creepy guy situation uh kind of impressively under control right um yeah well i think buffy interjects at the right point where like that dude is like physically trapping her between him and the tree right um but then that's true she totally uh cordelia just just that she, even like, though he's physically stronger than her and does have her kind of pinned, like, she never plays his game, that she's, uh continues to be uh, confident, sort of like Cordelia, and knows exactly what her role is in the situation all the way through, is kind of neat. Uh, I kind of, I just liked her dialogue in that scene. No, it's good. It's like the Buffy's attention is kind of unnecessary in it, like Cordelia has it figured out. But Buffy, like, as we've seen, very good at taking care of bullies. So it's, kind of like distressing to see it not work it is. we see what might typically happen where she's thrown to the ground by this angry bully and we also see some physical consequences to it because like she one of the things that's happening this episode is without her strength she also doesn't have her healing so she's getting like bruises building up and so that's where she gets i think that's where she gets that shoulder bruise that's there mm. for the rest of the episode um yeah but question about this like doesn't her training matter like she trains, right? Like yeah, but it is. Uh, um, I assume this is not just like a regular anesthetic, or not anesthetic, blah. A regular. So she's on a, a combination of muscle muscle relaxers and uh, like adrenaline suppressants. I think is what he says. Yeah, I imagine that this was like specifically designed by the Watchers Council to like knock out slayers, right? Because <laughs> of course, yeah. if you're the Watchers Council, that's something you make. Um, I, I would think I would like, yes, it is what the Watchers Council would do. I would like to hear Travis, Dr. Travis, explain to us what the uh, effects of taking muscle relaxers and adrenaline suppressants at the same time, or if that is even a thing. Can let's yeah. note that for a future Dr. Travis segment. Can we do that? <laughs> yeah, John? sure. And also, I, can we create a Dr. Travis segment? Because that's I, a great idea. I, I it keeps coming up. It. And like yeah. every episode has a thing, like obviously yeah. potential brain damage for Giles from multiple, you know, being knocked out frequently. <laughs> but dr travis yeah but like it's yeah. kind of yeah i, I, was no, I think you're right there should be training that regardless kicks in and i think that's what the what do you call it the final test is supposed to be about 
right? So what were what were tests like in the past though? Did they always have this serum? They probably didn't. Like, did what was it was probably a worse test in the past if you can't like take someone's power away completely. Probably lock them in a room with someone, take all their weapons away. You know. Anyway, yeah. this test is super fucked. I hate the Watcher Council. <laughs> what what? What is going on with this Watcher Council? <laughs> they have no stipends, no funding. Isles is forced to like put his this person he now cares for in too fatherly a way into this scenario. Ugh, I guess we'll I'll wait a little bit longer, but well, we gotta talk about this. <laughs> yeah, I mean I really yeah, we, we have a lot to say about the Watchers Council. Um <laughs> so, so I'll take uh Travis's comment here. Yeah. Uh, the uh crystals, best prop work all season. <laughs> then the crystals yep uh definitely uh some phallic playing with that crystals on buffy's part there um it was weird giles insistence on the crystals and like even i as a regular viewer was kind of thrown off by the crystal test it seemed like a new weird one like oh you need to know these crystals and like buffy <laughs> forward and making jokes and i was like come on be serious so he's using his giles powers to make it sound like it's important and then uh, as soon as she gets into the crystal, it's just like random injection. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, next question here. Um, how many kryptonites are there? <laughs> this is a good gag. So when Buffy's talking about, you know, being weaker all of a sudden, there's this good joke about how many kryptonites there are and what all the things they do. Now, I put in my I'm notes. A, well, good, because I'm not a Superman fan, but I've read, a, I've read Superman. I don't know it, about even all the kryptonites they mentioned. So this, I feel like this feels like old timey Superman. They have to introduce new kryptonites to solve crypt, you know, Superman problems, but yeah, please. I would like to ask Dennis about this because in ninth grade, uh, Dennis had uh, in his locker, a list of all the kinds of super of, of all the kryptonite from Superman. He had like a list in his locker, which I believe that you like hand typed that list up. Like you copied it out of wizard magazine. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, I think you're correct. I don't <laughs> remember that that's how I got that list, but that makes sense. I don't uh, remember if it was from Wizard, but I do remember that it was not like, it's not like something you cut out or something that, uh, was like printed somewhere or I think it was on a poster. It was like, no, it was you had typed it up and printed it out. <laughs> and then I put it on my locker. Yep. Uh, or inside pretty my cool. locker. Pretty cool guy. At least as cool as Oz. <laughs> well, that's, pretty- I mean, that's the thing is like, um, I put mine at the wrong place, I guess, but like, I think nowadays it's cooler to be into superheroes and stuff, but like that this is in the nineties, way not cool. Especially uh, Superman. I feel like among superhero fans, like Superman fans are a little extra dorky. Yeah. <laughs> These aren't even X-Men fans. They're not even, <laughs> like, they're not even image Rob Liefeld fans, which would have been more appropriate to the time this came out. <laughs> uh, so I don't, you know, yes, I was into Kryptonite and Superman at the time. I don't <laughs> remember this stuff very well. Even though I am at some point going to be on another podcast called Somebody Save Me from This Podcast where we watch every episode of Smallville. Um, that sounds funny. like a terrible mistake. That's one of David Yoder's <laughs> Why would you do that? Well, I'm not going to be on every episode. The idea is Yoder has put so many people through watching that show that he's going to bring on guests who used to be his roommates. <laughs> Uh, I watched with him like seasons eight, nine, and 10 when we were roommates. Um, But I know that Smallville has a lot of uh, different kryptonites because it's got the classic green. It had the red that um, on Smallville, it turned 
Superman evil, but I think a lot of times red transforms him randomly. Yes. Uh, I looked this up because they're actually both right. <laughs> Oz, uh, uh, both Oz and Xander are correct because it red has a bunch of random effects, um, including like one, apparently it turned him into Superman into a dragon once. Yeah. Uh, but then it also, one of the random effects it has, has that it has is weakening Superman, taking his powers away. Uh, and gold um, which Oz brings up, I think. Gold permanently removes Superman's powers. So it was a big plot in Smallville to try to give him a gold kryptonite ring. Um, <laughs> I remember that. Uh, and it's actually how um, in the last Alan Moore, like the last of the original Superman stories, how they resolve what happened to the Man of Tomorrow. Uh all right. Can we talk about Smallville <laughs> for one second? Isn't that whole show just about us as an audience waiting for Superman to become Superman and then mm-hmm. it never happens? It like, happens awesome. in the last friggin' five minutes of season 10. It's oh. so frustrating. It's so upsetting to me. It's, there was even a point where, where Yoder was like, all right, I don't think I even need to start season 10. And I was like, no, I've watched friggin' two seasons of the show with you. I am not quitting until I see him in that fucking blue suit. God damn it. So it's all these hints and suggestions that one day this super boy might become mm-hmm. Superman. He doesn't hop. You know, he doesn't jump. He hops rather. He doesn't have the powers. He's figuring them out. Yeah. Then- Which is fine when you're in high school, but the show went on for 10 seasons. So he's an adult working at the daily planet and he still doesn't know how to fucking fly. And well, he's like marrying Lois Lane. And like, he's not Superman yet. Like what the fuck? I mean, it's these TV shows gone wrong that take advantage of us as viewers because you know something's supposed to happen. And so in the back of your mind, you're like, this thing. It's yeah. just like why every TV, every movie is like an origin film and they, they satisfy your knowledge of the origin a little bit of the character. And you're like, cool. Thankfully, the Marvel films have generally moved beyond that, which is why they're so exciting because they're not like dealing with origins. But Superboy, the Smallville, and I only watched a little bit of it because Elizabeth was watching it and then gave up. It was just like, you, they never satisfy you. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's so always so frustrating. Anyway, uh, just wanted to share some of that. He actually fights Doomsday before becoming Superman. It makes no fucking sense. <laughs> but he's not killed by a Doomsday, right? Uh, I don't remember. I didn't actually watch that season. The odor just described it to me. Um, but uh, James Marsters, Mars, Mar- Spike plays yeah. um, Brainiac in that series. Oh, oh, what? And Don't make me want to watch that. Don't Buffy connect that show. Uh, <laughs> and there's also that, in Runaways. That's pretty good. Yeah. Oh, oh Runaways yeah, is, it good? is good. Yeah. Uh, so right. Giles injects Buffy with a mysterious substance. As I was watching the show, I so wanted this to be an alternate universe because it was so upsetting watching that scene. Because he hypnotizes Buffy. She's staring into the crystal and he's like, look in the crystal, see its flaw or something. And I'm like, oh, maybe there's some lesson here. This is kind of interesting. Maybe she's going to develop psychic powers, whatever. Like that's where my brain was going. And then he ties her off and injects her. And like, I, it was so upsetting to see that relation with Giles just severed completely for as, as a viewer. Like, I don't like Giles anymore. Like that was enough. Like, and I wonder as just a season three concept is season three about every character you love, like having some big lie that makes you not like them. Like everyone in season three 
every major character has had something terrible happen, except for Cordelia, who has just like had stuff done to her. Like she's the greatest like victim of season three, but like everybody else, like you know, Buffy lied about her relationship with Angel after he came back and that he was there. You know, obviously Xander and Willow lied about their secret relationship, which fucks some things up. You know, Oz hasn't done anything too terrible, and neither is Cordelia. And now Giles. So I guess like I'm waiting for Oz and Cordelia to flip. But like this made me so upset. I was angry, and then I was, and then later when Buff Giles is like, "Oh, it's the Watcher Council," you know, that's like I'm just following orders. Like, I, I, I don't know how I feel about this Watcher Council, who's been basically alien from this whole show, and now introducing themselves so strongly. Like, we've had one loose person come from the Watcher Council that tried to steal this crazy glove that does lightning magic, and like. <laughs> Watcher Council is terrible. <laughs> they offer yeah. no value. Giles was barely involved in their retreat. Uh, anyway, I can't imagine he's following orders from a good organization. And the Watcher Council seems evil. That's all. Uh, I want to talk about this more about what this means, but like my, I had a very emotional reaction to that scene. Yeah, that's intense. I was so angry. <laughs> is that also the same scene where like um, Buffy is just trying to ask Giles to go to the ice show with? Oh, that's no, it's not that exact same okay. scene, but it, that scene is really difficult because she's dropping hints so hard and Giles is and like, Giles, oh, yes, whatever. <laughs> but you understand afterwards that he's tuning her out because he needs to, to be like, yeah. he can't be good Giles if he's doing something terrible. So he's got to be yeah. like, mean and listen to her. Uh, yeah, and I, but the show is like, she's turning 18. She needs to connect with what it was like to be a child. But the world has moved on. Her dad has moved on. She can't be a kid anymore. She's an adult. And it's like kid world versus adult world. Get it. But yeah, that scene is heartbreaking. <laughs> uh, I say, uh, Willow went to Snoopy on ice. That is insanely specific to my life. How oh. so, Dennis? <laughs> well, I mean, I work across the street from the Snoopy ice arena, which Charles Schultz built. I not sure how much I could talk about this, but I know I personally know Snoopy, the Snoopy who um, Charles Schultz chose to be the representative in the, under the mask uh, and has, so probably the Snoopy that Willow saw and threw up in front of. Um, and they are a really good Snoopy. Uh, they're totally good. They buy, they get deep into character and like told me a story one time about going to the white house and was like, Oh, and you know how Snoopy is around secret service. And like Snoopy pranking the Secret Service, and I was like, "This is you were talking about Snoopy, like he's a different person than you." Oh, whoa! I had no idea that the the Snoopy costume character was like a thing. Yeah, yeah, it's totally a thing. Huh? Um, but it's one person. Do they do the voice also during the no, movies? No, no, Snoopy doesn't talk. Um, I mean, in the cartoons and stuff, Snoopy is voiced by Bill Melendez's voice is, is sped up to be like. <laughs> But it's not. Uh, but he's been dead for a number of years, and we they just keep reusing those recordings. Um, this is the physical presence of Snoopy. Um, huh. I, I think other people have worn the suit, but they need to be trained by this person. Um, it's so interesting trying to transfer a comic character into mime. It's such a strange medium yeah, transition. It is super, and all, like. I mean, there's a big transition anytime Snoopy moves from the comics into any other form because he becomes mute because he doesn't speak. Right. But in the comic, we hear his, we read his dialogue a lot. He's a very verbose character. And they switch to like, yeah, being a mime. 
Um, That's very strange. So it suddenly is much more limited. Uh, I don't know. It's just funny when something get like random, like Snoopy is brought up. That's like very specific to my life. Yeah, no, I, I enjoyed that and thought of you immediately. Of course, <laughs> you know, the on ice tradition of Snoopy is apparently at least as old as this show. And we don't know how oh, much yeah. older. No, it's at least from the seventies. I think they built the ice arena back then. Now, nowadays Marvel is on ice apparently, <laughs> and they do the whole story of the Marvel characters Really? Um, yeah. I mean, there's the on ice tradition continues because children love things on ice. I don't know why it continues. <laughs> like there's like this physical phenomenon of doing a thing on ice that kids are more excited about. I mean, it seems to be like a family entertainment thing. You need something to do during the day and it's kind of spectacular. When I was a kid, I went to Smurfs on ice. That How was that? I have no memory of it. I feel like it would great. <laughs> I feel like I did a He-Man on ice and a Sesame Street Whoa, on ice. Whoa, He-Man on ice. That must have been surreal. Yeah, probably not. Probably was He-Man not. like an sh- actual shirtless dude or did they have like a muscle suit on? I bet it was a muscle suit. But definitely Sesame Street on ice. Like that was a thing. It's like kids entertainment on ice and that's enough. Yeah of a combination to get people to come out and pay 30 bucks or whatever. But the Marvel and ice thing is like, it's weird because I think I feel like a lot of people, not people I work with, but like people like, like I think young people will go to that. Cause it's like a weird crossover thing. Cause people love the Marvel cinematic universe. <laughs> so it's like hitting the right chord where it's no longer family entertainment. It's kind of like somewhat adult, but not really like young single people. Uh, Which, just but, like everything super rela- superhero related like just leave it for the kids <laughs> but it, yeah it's like clearly advertising itself as a kid thing and then adults go anyway and they don't belong and they yell like that's inaccurate uh, yes they're disappointed by the suits and the people miming like or like moving their lips to the lip synced performance uh, what about Willow's outfit uh, yeah, it's a particularly good Willow outfit. I put a screenshot of it in our document. Um, I suppose, should I screen share really quickly? Well, yeah, tell us about this amazing... Oh, it's just it's just a particularly good Willow outfit. She's got um, sort of uh, brownish mustard color tights, the same color sweater, uh, this like uh, pink skirt and uh, like rainbow colored winter hat. It's just very Willow. It's just a, a really, I just... It's uh she's uh she's power clashing is what she's doing. <laughs> uh it's really cool. Good outfit. This is actually this is how my girlfriend dresses pretty much. Really? Yes. Interesting. Okay, I've never met her, so <laughs> now I will picture that you're dating teenage Willow. Oh, well, you never I'll... met her. I've only met her like the one time, but yeah. Anyway. Yeah, she's a little elusive, but um but yeah, that's about that's about the outfit. Uh so Amy's apparently still a rat. And I know I have a prediction going where I don't think she'll be a rat very long. Uh, kind of yeah. surprised to hear about how she's doing as a rat. Yeah, and also I, I want to point out that when Buffy brings it up, she's bringing it up to be like, have you de-ratted her yet? And Willow doesn't seem focused on that right now. No, she's, she's way into having a <laughs> pet. Having a pet. <laughs> I mean, this she did person. lose her, her uh, fish, we know, right? Yeah. 
This used to be my friend. Now it's my pet. <laughs> Willow is not a good caretaker because she's not at, like, there's no time crunch. There's no urgency to transform Amy back. And that makes me sad. And it was a funny conversation, but it's also like, Amy doesn't want to be a rat. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I think um, Amy's uh, going to be a little resentful when she comes out of rap form. <laughs> <laughs> How does time yeah, work when you're a rat? Do you remember it? Who knows? Uh, I say fucking Quentin Travers. Um, <laughs> now we get to the point where the plot is revealed and they're like building the murder house. And <laughs> Good name for it. <laughs> like, fuck this guy, man. Which one's Quentin Travers? He's the boss. He's the boss of the Watchers. Oh, like, bo- Watcher boss. Yeah, fuck that guy. He's such an asshole. Uh, and like, I don't know, just when he's lecturing Giles and he's like, this is to prove like the the Slayer indeed has the cunning and the skills. And it's like the idea that Buffy at this point hasn't proven herself yet is just insane. Like the amount of shit she's had to do. Like, uh, I really really believe that this is not a test that um, the Slayer is designed to live past. This is like, a, you've lived, you've been a Slayer too long. Time to just die so that we, because... Which doesn't make a lot of sense strategically. Even if you don't care about, like, the life of the Slayer, why no, would getting a random new one be better than an experienced one? How does that make any sense? You guys Because the more experienced, the more power, right? And oh, they're, like, less. threatened by the Slayer. That makes sense. Yeah. No, you guys bring up an interesting point, and I, Dennis, you're moving me to this like kind of observation here. But like, yeah, you're right. They don't want her to live, and they don't want to. There's no stipend from the Watcher Council because they don't want them to succeed. So the Watcher Council is clearly allied with the demons in some way. Like they want everyone to lose, which seems crazy, but like clearly they do. Like, and they have Giles kind of set up to like make Buffy die or fail, and her mom. <laughs> gets involved right yeah i want her to die but i don't know why i don't know what happens when the slayer dies what's the big benefit for them but like they new slayer naive slayer it's like uh it's like a a workplace where they encourage you to like uh they encourage high turnovers because they uh, keeps you cheap yeah but there's a part of me that assumes the watcher council would want them to want you know to implement the slayer in the right place and like be more strategic and they're clearly not you know, this is just like some random shit. They don't want it to happen. So they want her to die. Oh, shit. What a weird show. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. This is like the first time we've really seen anyone from the Watchers Council before Giles, besides Giles, you know? Right. Like, we still well, don't. I, I assume Faith would get a Watcher, a new Watcher before this, before Buffy gets a new one, apparently. <laughs> Jumping ahead, anyway. Uh, let's see. Uh, I already said about the sad scene um i said that ridiculously long spoon for feeding the vampires pills that is some weird ass like 19th century invention kind of stuff <laughs> it's really good prop work is what it is <laughs> it's, it's sloppy pot plot work or, or <laughs> prop work like obviously that's designed to fail um there's got to be an easier way i was also thinking about those pills and i know we, there's some more talk about this but like um there's no way like they're not giving him antipsychotics, which is what you need to give like a serial killer. They're giving him like, I don't know, migraine medicine or something. Uh, 
<laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, that one guy feeding using the spoon um, is from Star Trek Enterprise. Yes, that oh. is Dominic Keating. He plays Malcolm Reed on Star Trek Enterprise. Interestingly enough, Jeff Kober, the amazing character actor who plays the vampire, was also in an episode of Star Trek Enterprise as well as he Star was. Trek Voyager. He has, let's do it now. He has an amazing um, job. His IMDb page is so long. <laughs> He's been on like one episode of every thing. Yep. He was on, also, his natural face is already a vampire face. Yes. Like, yes. <laughs> like Luke, he's like, he just looks the part already. Yeah. Uh, so he was on an episode of Charmed, an mm-hmm. episode of a Poltergeist TV so- series. Yep. He had a reoccurring role on Kindred the Embraced, which is Ooh, like the wow. other vampire show. He was on Earth 2. He was on an episode Earth of X-Files. <laughs> Alien Nation. He was on MacGyver, the 90s Twilight Zone, and V. This dude has been like on every genre. The TV. original V, right? Yeah. Yeah. Fucking Earth 2, man. <laughs> uh, so obviously yeah. the Star Trek, you know, you mentioned Star Trek sound is played. Yeah. yeah probably played continuously. <laughs> it's a lot of Star Trek going on in this episode. It's um, the only Star Trek reference I planned out for this episode, but we'll see what happens. On Enterprise, do him and do the two interact? Uh, I did not, uh, as part of my research for this, go back and rewatch that episode. Uh, Jeff Cooper <laughs> plays a, f- a fairly minor character. Uh, so maybe not. I don't know. He he's a- an alien. Uh, he's a character that has a name, uh, on the internet, but only because it's in the script. It's not actually mentioned in the episode in the dialogue. Uh, so uh. it's a fairly minor character, but I, I don't know if they interacted. <laughs> Looks like we've already talked about my last, my next three observations. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> John Bear's repeating, Angel is a creep. Yep. Uh, yeah, so we just, uh, the other scene with Buffy and Angel, that's our takeaway from it. Angel's a creep. Um, let's see. Oh, uh, when so the Star Trek Enterprise guy gets bitten and drained. And he turns really quick, I think. Do we know how much time has passed? It can't. It could have. It couldn't have been more than a day. Yeah. Um, it seems like it was a really quick turnaround to me, and he was not buried. Right. Just maybe right. that's why. Maybe he also like. I don't know. It's. I feel like they're. They don't care. Yeah. Pork and beans was never buried either, and he took longer to turn. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they have a recipe as far as like how you turn. It's just like whatever's most story convenient at the end. Yeah. It seems like if most vampires like burst out of their coffin and dig themselves out of the grave, that's like at least a week. Um, but I don't know. Right. Uh, let's see. I say when you don't have uh, Slayer strength, normal human men are suddenly dangerous again. Um, just in that cat calling scene before the vampires attack. Yep. Uh, that was, yeah, you're like, I'm worried for Buffy's safety. Oh, right. And like, she should have asked for Angel to walk her home, right? Like, that was a weird, sad scene. Yeah, the world's really dangerous. That felt like the more real universe, like being exposed, like not even Sunnydale, just like the real world. Yeah. Because my wife always tells me when she gets catcalled and like, it's all the time. And I'm not like saying it as a compliment to her. I just mean like, people suck. 
Yeah, like, yeah, we have that kind of male advantage of I can just walk down the street and not feel threatened, right, most of the time. No, white men are never accosted by anyone. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, you're right. Uh, (laughs) Cargo pants. Hey, guys, remember cargo pants? Let's talk about cargo pants. That was a brief thing. We were all, like, wearing cargo pants, you know, whether we liked it or not because they were just available. But he's wearing cargo pants. And uh, made me laugh when I saw him because it felt like a very 90s thing that uh, had interjected itself into the show's wardrobe. Don't think I ever bought a pair of cargo pants. Really? I think I skipped it. Well, yeah. Magical aren't you, Landis. Are you too it. cool for school? I definitely had cargo pants. Ditto. <laughs> John, you would love it. They're pants with a lot of pockets. Yeah. Yeah. You could, yeah. You could put all your tools in them and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely had a pair of like military pants with lots of pockets. So I don't know if that's cool. Did you ever wear cargo shorts? No. Heck yeah. I did. I have a thing about not showing people my legs. <laughs> I had a roommate, uh, John Michael, who one time saw me in shorts. He goes, no, 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 no. An adult <laughs> does not wear shorts. I've <laughs> not worn shorts. Oh, has it been that long? In 10 years. <laughs> Agree. Don't wear shorts. Shorts are not a good idea uh, for anyone. <laughs> uh, Joyce got kidnapped. Do you want to talk yeah, about that? Joyce gets kidnapped because um, somehow she mistakes this six six foot two man for her tiny daughter uh, <laughs> because of the coat. Um, He's just wrapped in a coat on her doorstep. It's so weird. It's such a weird reveal. What is he doing? Vampires just don't want to be seen through little peephole. And then, yeah. like, anyway. I just can't believe that dumb plan worked. <laughs> Joyce, you gotta, like, think ahead sometimes. Does Buffy have, like, a red riding hood? Is that a garment she owns? Is that uh, she's wearing it in that scene. That's okay, alright, that's right. Okay. He steals right. it from her. Um, that's one of... Th- I, I bring that up in themes, that there's a visual, thematic, little red riding hood thing going. Right. For all that matters. Right. Uh, Giles telling Buffy the truth is an emotionally devastating scene. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, it wasn't that long ago that, um, you know, Giles was all upset and betrayed by Buffy. I feel yeah, like they're, 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 I guess they're not even Steven, but feel like <laughs> yeah, should, it was definitely Giles, this season instead of being like apologetic and stuff was just really bitter about it and was like <laughs> well you betrayed me so i think i was allowed to betray you once <laughs> well the way this show works totally you know he'll be forgiven for sure i mean it's worse because giles is the adult of course yeah and i mean and buffy is just like so like well, she's really hurt she's all like right she has the like who are you like her realities like they make a really specific point in this episode to say she sees him as a father figure you know they don't she doesn't get the confrontation scene where she really like lays into giles about it right like does she no not really no i mean it's just like we recognize it as the viewer but there's no scene where buffy's like hey what the fuck (laughs) she throws something at him Hmm. okay yeah but i don't i agree i feel like there's a stronger condemnation from her that could have happened yeah well and i think part of it is at the end 
not only does Giles go and like save them from the last vampire and stuff, but then he's fired by the council also. So that's the kind like he needs to be fired by the council in order for there to be forgiveness possible. Right. Like that's why it happens. Right. Is like, otherwise they never could move beyond it. If he was still working for this organization. Yeah. Um, yeah, all right. Uh, I say, uh, welcome to Murder House. Kralik has kind of a very Buffalo Bill voice kind of going on. He does. Yeah, he does. Uh, what's this? Hard fuck me. <laughs> uh, what's this next note, uh, Mike? Hot cross massage? What are you talking about? Oh, yeah. Well, she uses the cross on you know oh the guy and like it oh that's great gets evaporated into him and then instead of being scared well he's initially scared then he kind of draws it into him and then it basically acts like it's a massage tool and then i'm imagining maybe it could be a massage tool for vampires like <laughs> you know angel had a little cross that he wore for a dance or whatever it clears clearly hasn't had no long-term effect it's just like a temporary effect like the cross is damaging but not permanently and probably i damage. thought it was like a sexual masochism thing he was doing yeah does that mean he, he was definitely shoving that cross low i don't know how low uh it was like it was above the belt but you know when angel like is dancing with buffy he's got a cross on or whatever like this is like she's got a cross season. but it burns yeah she, she's got one is that season one even like where that's that might happening? be yeah yeah so there's like a cross situation that happens and like he just tolerates the pain because it's just pain so vampires like a little bit of it. It's a little bit pleasurable, a little bit painful, probably reminds them of how they're vampires. Yeah. And so they, you can embrace or not embrace it and probably a spa treatment of some kind. <laughs> no vampire yeah. spa across a nice cross peeling. <laughs> yeah. It is probably more of a peeling thing than a hot stone thing. Gross. <laughs> uh, did Buffy at normal human strength just beat a vampire unconscious? I think she did. When she tracks, she traps the Star Trek Enterprise guy under a, a bookcase and then just like wails on him for a little while. I'm like, I, it looks like she knocked him out for at least a little while. So good for her. Yeah, pretty badass, Buffy. Uh, Mike, you say the Polaroid room? Yeah, that's like a thousands of dollars in Polaroids. That's crazy. <laughs> and that's just of Joyce, maybe? Like we don't see anything else. Choice, yeah. Like that's obnoxious. <laughs> I feel like Joyce because it's like there's ten pictures that you can fit in a Polaroid camera, right? Yeah. So it's like there's at least a thousand. So it's like a hundred reloads, <laughs> slow reloads yeah. of pictures of Joyce. That's annoying. And yeah. she's been there for hours, maybe. Like maybe, yeah. It's just uh, really sadistic. And strange to do that. Even back then when they were making Polaroids, they were mad expensive. Yeah, they've always been 10 bucks plus per... I don't think that they're paying for them, though. They probably broke into the, like... Oh, broken lab? Okay, so they're free Polaroids. Don't worry about the cost. (laughs) It's still weird. And then to arrange them in the Polaroid room. Like, this is... Yeah, it's one thing if it's like this is a serial killer who's been doing this for years, and this is his Polaroid, right? But to like yeah. set up all of the, <laughs> set it up really quick, all <laughs> of the effects of a serial killer. But I only I'm doing it only on like this. I only have an hour. He's like, yeah. okay, listen, Malcolm Reed, I need you to go down to the Costco and raid their Polaroid stash. 
Yeah, I'm going to drop Buffy into this room and really weird her out. <laughs> but this vampire is very strange because he's like, for all his life, as far as we know, like has been imprisoned and forced to take pills so he become addicted to them, right, by two members of the Watchers Council. And like, he's free for a brief period of time and then he goes back to this. So probably, right, the theory I would think is like, he was a serial killer that then became a vampire, right? Yeah. Well, they give his history. Oh, they do. Um, yeah. oh, I'm sorry. He's like, he's got a history of being locked up in mental asylums before he was a vampire. And he ate his mom. Right? That's right. Yeah. Okay. I guess I ignored that part. Sorry. <laughs> Where was his history? Who said his history? Uh, Giles says it when he gives Buffy the full truth. And uh, okay. I think she's, he says like he was, yeah, he, he gets cut off, but he says something about like, he was in an insane, in, a, in an insane asylum when a vampire. And that's like, when they get cut off. But easy picking okay. for a vampire. Well, I'm glad that happened. Uh, I watched the same show. Apparently, I listen only half as much. Uh, I missed that part. Uh, you know, I, it just seemed like a, he might be a serial killer in another life. Uh, John, you got the next. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just feel like, so I love the way that Buffy kills him is super badass, where she like yeah. tricks him into drinking the holy water and then he like dissolves from the inside. I really feel like non wooden stake based methods of killing vampires are way underutilized because you can set them on fire. We know that works, right? Mm-hmm. We know that the cross burning thing can have an effect, and we know that, that the holy water thing works. And holy water can be made in infinite quantities by Catholic priests yeah like oh, i, I feel like there's always that riddle of like isn't everything holy water at this point like, right yes yes because you can't dilute holy water that's one of the rules so like yeah i feel like the thing they do in lost boys where they just, they like they fill up their squirt guns with uh holy water is a really effective idea and should be used yeah. also like if a cross is all it takes like i don't know put a bunch of them together and make a net out of them and throw it on a vampire <laughs> Because staking is such a close quarters, intimate, specifically difficult thing to do. <laughs> I feel like they've picked the hardest one. Yeah. Well, that's what Buffy's job is. It's yeah. the hardest thing. Yeah. Flamethrowers. That's going to kill a lot of victims also. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. But All I like right. the cross net. I think that's a good idea. Or like, I don't know. Does one extra large cross burn more than a small cross? Oh yeah, get them trapped under a cross. Yeah, is it surface area or is it quantity of crosses? Or yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Some experimentation is in order. (laughs) Uh, I say, fuck the council. Fuck Quinn Travers. Here, Uh, here. I've already said it before, but just I mean, he's such a dick. the thing of like you passed but you failed and like again congratulations on passing like don't pretend this is normal um i like also when uh uh giles like confronts him he like shakes him and it doesn't stop travers from like holding his tea it's like i still got to keep (laughs) my english tea (laughs) uh let's see um I already said that. Uh, so it's a, uh, was Giles pulling down two salaries before? Yeah. So do you think? So because yes. they say saying Giles was fired, so he must have been getting paid. And Buffy directly says that he's you know he's you know obviously working for the school, so he was getting two salaries, which is why he's got such a dope house and this like classic car, right? 
And then he's also letting Faith live in a hotel. I know. Come on, Giles. Giles is such getting her cash. Is that what's going on? Giles is a pretty decent dad to Buffy most of the time, but he's a terrible dad to Faith. I mean, Faith probably would refuse money maybe because she's Faith and she's like independent and she wants to live in her spot and quarters or whatever. But like, (laughs) uh, I feel like she could use like sandwich money. Yeah. I don't know. You got to be funding the Slayers some way if they're not going to be like living at their parents' house, right? It's fucked up. (laughs) Uh, I say Willow is way focusing on the wrong thing in the giant amount of sandwich scene. Um, just that she's I didn't obsessed. notice all the sandwiches. <laughs> she's just obsessed with that Giles lost his job and yeah. keeps repeating that instead of like, Giles drugged you? Wait a second, Giles drugged you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are they making all those sandwiches because of all the baguette left over from Buffy's indoor picnic <laughs> with Angel? <laughs> but they apparently make them like all jelly first before even opening the peanut butter at all. They made like, it looked like 20 jelly sandwiches with no peanut butter um well maybe giles wants a jelly only sandwich because he didn't get a jelly donut in the next episode sorry i forgot that it was not this episode never mind can't oh, predict that mike he's gonna get a donut what a worthless prediction that would be but if i pulled that sorry, off. i watched that today i forgot that what wasn't people this are gonna eat next <laughs> uh that peanut butter jar did not look hard to open it was made of plastic Jars are only hard to open if they're glass. Yes. There's some sort of vacuuming. All right. All right, Uh, that's weird noticings. That's it for weird noticings. Uh, Let's move on to questions for the group. Uh, Travis has the first question. He says, what was the most important birthday age for you? Any birthday traditions? Uh, I can't recall. I don't know. I feel like 16 was a really important age mm. where that was the year my dad gave, you know, you're kind of expecting your parents are going to give you a car or something like that. And that's the year my dad gave me a big book of mazes. <laughs> I remember that. And I remember being really confused. It was like, but it wasn't like a big, like, like it was lengthy. It was like literally a large book of mazes. Like how are you, is you're holding up your hands at like three or four feet wide. Is that? Yeah, that's accurate. It was just like, you know, some company figured out a way to print the largest possible paper cheaply and made a large book of mazes. So maybe the mazes are hard. I never did them, but it was. That's a terrible gift because it looks big wrapped up and then it's shitty. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and then, was that a Costco gift? That seems like the, a Costco yeah, gift. Possibly. I also got at that same gift, same birthday, also got the uh, tiny car in the garage gift. Like, oh, go to the garage. There'll be a car for you kind of thing. But it was also just like a lot little car. It was just a clearly, prank. Yeah, prank gift. But so, <laughs> so clearly that garage was so full of shit. There's no way to <laughs> fit into it. So, like, I was never really confused that it might be a car. Uh, joke's on you, dad. You're a hoarder. <laughs> <laughs> I was never at any point confused. It's like, oh, that's clearly not a car. <laughs> you read about this or heard that this would be a funny gag gift. It has failed. Oh. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I remember you being upset about that at the time. Uh, just like how stupid it was. Anyway. <laughs> the mazes in particular. Oh, the mazes. 
yeah, felt very off the mark. <laughs> I think, huh. I remember you telling me the story that he gave you the book of mazes and then realized he had intended to wrap that up and give it to someone else after he, after you unwrapped it or something. <laughs> yes, that's correct. Okay. Wow. All right. So then he also took it back. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's fine. Oh, My shit. college education was paid for. I can't complain. That's right. There you go. There you go. So birthday guests don't matter. You're just this weird, like, problem you have to solve as you, you know, age as a parent. But the big, the big stuff, like, you know, college, that's fine. You win overall. So, uh, if no one else has any important birthday ages or gifts. I don't. (laughs) uh, I'm concerned about the Watcher Council's treatment of two of its employees. So, do you guys get murdered just to put together a Slayer test? Is this a normal operational cost for <laughs> putting together this test? Like, what is going on here? I feel like this might be fairly normal because we know that the Watchers um, see this as like a sacred duty that's passed down uh, generationally. And they have these special retreats and all these like sort of like uh, systems to make you feel like it's important. Which is a thing you do when you want to abuse people, like uh, make them feel like the, the the payment is not why they're working. They're working because it's you know sacred or something for the honor. Yeah, wow, yeah. for the honor, John. That's yeah. amazing. And Travers does not seem that worried that the two. No, he doesn't. Uh, he's just like, well, I saw Buffy walked into the murder house. Like, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, do you think these two employees like are watchers also, or do you think they're like? I don't know what defines a watcher. I guess I assume that's really unclear. Training to be watchers. That's what I assumed watching it. That these would be future watchers. Would have been. But there's clearly a lot more to being a watcher than Slayer watching. That is only one of many hats you can wear in the Watchers Council. Apparently. But they're not all watching. That's named after the main job. But well, I mean. I guess yeah, Giles' job is watching, but like, are there other? Are they watching something else? I think they just watch Slayers. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, anyway, nice. it just seems like it just made the Watchers Council seem like a shitty place, and like we haven't had a lot of insight into how that thing functions at this point. So like, I was put off by it that they were expendable because initially it felt like they were very important, but then they're not. <laughs> yep. They die real fast. Yeah. Uh, Kralik keeps talking about not draining too much blood. Um, has that been established as a thing before? Like if you drain too much blood, the vampire doesn't turn or something? Well, to turn a vampire, you the vampire drinks your blood, and then you drink the vampire's blood, right? Yes. You can't drink if you're already dead. So, but if the guy drank at all... Like you have to have enough blood to swallow. Yeah. Okay. All right. I, guess I don't know. <laughs> uh, you say pillodected vamp, Mike? Yeah. So they get this vampire addicted to drugs, like. Yeah, because those pills are clearly not like for his psychological health or anything. I thought they were maybe migraine migraine pills. I thought they were keeping him somewhat sedated so he could stay tied up. But he's. No, but why would he keep wanting him? Oh, right. Because like that doesn't make sense. You're right. Like I know people on 
antipsychotics who the first thing they want to do is get off antipsychotics. I don't know right. anyone who's like on any of those who's like, this is it. This is it for me. I love it. <laughs> no, that, that same. Yeah. And then he even like exploits their comprehension of what the pills are doing in order to eat a guy. So yeah. the pill thing, like he uses against them, which is whatever, what I expect to have happen. It's not a shocking scene, but like, cause they're using that long spoon to feed the pills. So did they create the pill addicted vamp or was he addicted to pills and then became a vampire and then they fed the pills to him? Like, I think as a villain, it's kind of a, kind of a strange one. So like Kralik, like, he's addicted to these things that apparently sedate him somewhat, but also like he's about to go, it's like keeping back headaches of some kind. Yeah. Right. That's why I assume they were migraine pills because of the headaches and the way he was like, I can't see when he had like his fake not being able to see the pills. Like I can understand like people have migraines go okay. blind from the pain. Right. But right. we haven't had any other vampires who've had other disabilities. Right. Like, it's kind of unusual to be a vampire and then also have another problem. Yeah. So like you're a vampire and you're a psychotic. Yeah. It's odd that you can be a vampire and be sick. Cause he's physically ill, not just mentally. Well, uh, spikes spike was in a wheelchair for a while. Oh, that's true. <laughs> okay. That's true. That's true. Yeah. It's I don't know. Though. This guy has a mental disorder and is a vampire. He probably had a mental disorder before he was a vampire. This is the same treatment is what I imagine is going on. And so probably in the realm of vampires, it's probably easy to, how do I imagine the story? It was easy to take a person from a mental hospital and then, you know, turn him into a vampire or control him when he became a vampire, you know? Yeah. And so I think like, part of it is like, they think like this, the show thinks like what's scarier than a normal vampire is a dude who was already a serial killer before he even became a vampire. Like they did that with the Gorches, right? Right. But to me, that's like not the most interesting thing about a vampire. It's more like, what's the thing about you as a human you were repressing that goes out? Right. I don't know. But yeah, he's an interesting vampire and I'm curious how he works. And then, you know, clearly they're talking a lot about Buffy because the first thing he does is go and like try and kidnap her mom you know, kidnap Joyce or whatever. But he's like a weird vampire. And it turns out, of course, that's his undoing. I don't think Buffy has enough insight into him to actually pull off her kill method of killing him, but it, you know, she's able to. I don't know. It's just a weird pill addicted vampire thing is cool and weird. Yeah. Uh, I asked, how did the Polaroid get pinned inside the house? Um, when Buffy comes back home, she finds a Polaroid inside the oh, house yeah. that's come, and it's like pins to the wall. So I was like, who did that? He did it with the long spoon. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he <laughs> likes the spoon. <laughs> the spoon is the star of this episode. <laughs> uh, do you think Buffy ends up going to the ice show with anyone? Maybe uh, they're bill- making all those sandwiches for her ice show at the end. I'm going to say no. Buffy does not go to the ice show. No, no ice show. That's for kids. <laughs> She's too old for it now. Okay. Yeah, Buffy's dad is kind of a dick and she realizes that all father figures will betray you. Hence, we don't need ice shows in our life. Uh, Mike and John, you both have like kind of intense questions now. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. These are all about rituals. So 
I'll start. But do you remember a ritual your parents performed when you turned 18? Was there anything that happened? Uh, my so. parents celebrated my 18th birthday by being at the same party together, which was terrifying. Oh. Um, I think I drink. I think they opened up a, bo- a bottle of champagne for me. Oh, Aww. for you? Yeah. That's nice. Um, so I remember that. I don't remember being hazed or anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I also remember no ritual, but you know, turning 18 is important, like, or becoming an adult. I do remember both my parents being present for my college graduation and that being incredibly awkward, but high school graduation, yeah, they were also both present. Um, like these ritual ceremonies they're part of, but I don't remember some private ritual being created. They just both attended the public ritual and were humiliated by each other's appearance. (laughs) (laughs) Woo. Uh, I, I, I'm curious if anybody's ever experienced any hazing rituals. This is clearly a sort of, it's not hazing in the sense that the watchers don't have to go through it, but um, these sort of like rites of passage that are clearly just punishments. Right. Uh, yeah. Like, I feel like a lot of stuff, uh, not for me, but like, uh, since I have dated multiple academics, like I feel like when you're getting a PhD, there's all these uh, rites of passage that are mainly horrible and don't prove anything. Like uh, the idea of doing comprehensive exams where you have like uh, they give you like a topic and then you have 24 hours to like write a paper on it just seems like hazing it doesn't seem like it proves anything just seems horrible and uh i've known multiple people who have vomited trying to do that and it just seems wow. just seems shitty so i feel like the world is full of hazing rituals i can't think of any i've gone through yeah i can't think of any i've gone through either i don't um i mean i feel like i've been pranked a number of times in my life but it's not hazing um <laughs> <laughs> maybe there's a certain degree of like hazing when you're starting to date somebody or something and you're like oh it's not hazing necessarily but you have to like show them your favorite movie and like oh like when you make someone watch every episode of star trek the next generation yeah, is but that that's, date, that's date hazing star trek i love it but that's that's a different thing right like when you're you're trying you're getting someone used to your internal language like you're sharing a part of the you whatever you call that what is that yeah well that's um i watched have you guys seen a relationship (laughs) (laughs) have you guys seen that did you watch the big sick yes no there's a a line in that where um kamel nanjani makes uh his girlfriend watch um the abominable dr fives which is an amazing oh that is a great movie but she's like is this a girlfriend test he's like what no i don't know what you're talking about he's like i love girlfriend tests i love when men try to (laughs) Like funny for girlfriend tests. Um, I was like, and I was like, oh yeah, I've totally done that. I've done- oh, I've totally done that. Was yours the abominable Doctor Fives? I feel like it may well be. <laughs> uh, it's well, I think Kamel's response was exactly my, like the response. If I was a comedian, what I would write is like, well, not that movie, but a B movie, <laughs> <laughs> right? I make people watch RoboCop more often than I should. Why RoboCop? It's really good. It's so violent. It's so surprisingly violent. And it's actually like really like uh, prescient to like right now. Like one of the big things in that in it is that OCP Omni Consumer Products is like privatizing everything that used to be um, public. Like they're they're making um, jails into profit centers, and like they're like um, making the police into a profit center, and like they're trying to like basically make their own private community out of the ruins of Detroit 
And it's just like, I don't know. It totally predicts like what <laughs> consumerism was like. It takes consumerism up another notch. And that's like where we are now. Hmm. Um, also, it's really violent. Uh, all right. We're going to get into themes. Do we have any uh, more questions? Yep, totally. Let's move on to themes. All right. Uh, Travis asks, or thematic, thematically says, uh, that he feels like the Watcher's Council is another big evil in the show. And I feel Giles is totally complicit in the evil with a very much I was just following orders attitude. I think back then on TV, it was normal to forgive your father for being a D bag. Uh, but now, if this was made, there would be a chance that hell no, she wouldn't forgive him, and Giles uh, would be written out of the show. Uh, I don't think Giles would have been written out of the show, but I definitely think this is the kind of betrayal that takes a lot longer to forgive than the yeah. show gave time for. Um, see. Travis asked some of the same things of like, why should the Buffy ever listen to the Watchers Council again? Um, uh, she shouldn't. They're, they've done nothing to either alert her to their presence or to like make themselves meaningful to her. Like the Watchers Council has only been negative in her life. In the sense, I mean, they provided her with Giles, I guess, in the first place. So that's good. But they they're not doing very positive things for her. So I don't think she should. And then the I agree with Travis that Giles will be written out of the show in a different show because that's such a big betrayal. It's so huge. Like, and then for him to continue to be on the show, but like, I would, I thought that of the, you know, Xander, um, Willow betrayal, like shows are pretty big on betrayal, you know, in 2018, 2017, like if you fuck with someone's life, like you're off the show, you know, you don't normally just stay on to do whatever. Like normally you'll die or be killed after your betrayal happens. Like, um, you know, it's interesting reading The Walking Dead. You guys ever read that? The Kirkman? I did. I read lots of it until it got really dumb. Okay. So what point is that? Uh, when the zombies start wearing, or the people start wearing zombie masks, there's all the fake zombies that are people wearing zombie masks. That's stupid. <laughs> okay. I didn't get that far. I, so. Yeah. <laughs> They're like to volume 25 or something of The Walking Dead. So anyway, that show is great, but, uh, or I'm sorry, the comic is great, but it yeah. also has like, a very simple attitude, which I think TB has in general, which is like, if you do a bad thing, then you get killed. Mm. Right. So it's like, it's really simple. It's like, if you do a bad thing, you die. And the the unfortunate thing is in reality, that's not what happens. You do a bad thing. Usually you stay alive. (laughs) Yeah. Continue to hurt people. And like you're punished, you're not really punished that severely, or maybe someone brings it up that you did that thing. But like normally, your life continues as normal. <laughs> it's like you do a bad thing. So like Giles is a bad thing in a TV show universe where everyone is equitable, which TV shows are of course, you know, like fantasy universes of how humans behave. Right. And how things should work. Like there's punishments. So like what Giles does is unforgivable. He would be killed or removed from the show. Hmm. But the show is so excited about Giles and wants him to be part of the future universe. Or maybe it's some like filler episode for season three of a nineties show. So it's okay that he does this and he'll continue. Anyway, I think he would be gone in the modern show. Really? I don't know. I mean, I get, I don't know what modern show. Well, like, I mean, obviously walking dead loses people a lot, but like, 
I don't know. Lost had a lot of betrayal and characters kept hanging around. I don't know if that's yeah, a good point. Yeah. Modern show anymore. Uh, but it also like, I mean, I feel like more the opposite happens a lot where like characters switch so much now from like good to evil and back again and stuff. Like um, you'll be watching a show and like one season, somebody's on the team the next season they're against them. And, and like somehow we just accept this weird, these weird turns. No, you're right. Maybe Walking Dead is like an older example of a show where it's like you screw up, the character screws up and does something bad, they're dead. And like what Giles does is unforgivable. Period. Yeah, but I think I think the show wants us like wants us to forgive Giles, and that's why yes, it does gives him that turn. Oh well, he retracts his like, statement even, and then like apologizes. Like he does the bad thing, which is like making Buffy look into the crystal of hypnotizing slayers. And then gives her the juice, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, like, and then apologizes afterwards. Do you so think like, every uh, watcher comes up with their own how to hypnotize slayers, or do you think they all just get shipped the same crystal? I feel like I it's, feel like that's a problem a watcher can solve. <laughs> yeah, I think that crystal's been around. I haven't seen <laughs> it in watch, you know, Giles's study before. Oh, that's like part of the kit. Like, so they go to set up the murder house and they drop off the hypno crystal. It's like the, it's the, it's the, there's like a kit that you have. It's like, it comes with like one sedated, crazy vampire, one long spoon, one hypno crystal and uh, one vial of knockout juice. You think it's one, one vial they're using or a bunch of vials? These are unimportant questions. I'm yeah, sorry. Seriously. <laughs> uh, Travis says again, um, uh, I feel this episode faults the patriarchy, but then sidesteps hard and absolves Giles of guilt. Uh, which, yeah, we talked about that. Um, the cat calling is used as comedic foil rather than anything thought provoking. Absolutely. Totally agree. Yeah. The cat call. I thought the cat calling was threatening. I didn't think that was funny. Yeah, but the way that she shakes it off and it just sort of moves to the next scene. I don't know. I felt like it was to bring up street harassment. It felt a little. I feel like it hit really hard too. I think they did it. I think they pulled it Where she's on the street and she gets catcalled. Yeah. I don't think that's. I don't think it's. I don't think it's a joke. Maybe it's not. No, but it's the first time you've seen the character transform into the powerless version of themselves, and like that's the full transformation into powerless version of Buffy, and like it hits hard. Like I watched the show for how long, and like I've never seen her feel weak, and mm. I saw her feel weak one, two, three times, and that was the third time, and it was the cat calling, not even a villain or someone's trying to kill her, right? <laughs> Feeling weak, it was really yeah. they pulled it off. Uh, I think with what I think they're trying to pull off, which is just like that's another form of violence, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I said Buffy being upset that she might not be the Slayer anymore really shows how much her character has changed since season one. Um, just, you know, she's full on embracing being the Slayer now and is upset. Like she has that whole speech about, I can't go back. Right. That's a good point. Uh, so just you see how much she's changed. Um, and then there's a visual theme running through of little red riding hood. Um, right. Kralik being the big bad wolf. Although, he dresses up like Little Red Riding Hood instead of like the grandma. If right. you're going to full on do it, he would dress up like Joyce, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, but I don't know if that means anything. I think it's just a visual. Th- and a thing to make like Kralik more intimidating is to make him like the wolf, right? Um, 
Also, the I thing mean, of yelling hide and seek is like the dumbest way to play hide and seek. I mean, I think it just brings up the idea of a of a young, vulnerable girl in a threatening world. I think is the 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 general thing they're doing. But yeah. I agree, it's not super specific or deep. I don't know if it counts for Mike's predictions that fairy tales are real. Oh, uh, I'd say no. All right. I, I mean, I was predicting something a little bit louder than that. This is a really <laughs> like minor thing. And I noted it when I was watching, but like it's pretty minor as far as a fairy tale connection. Yeah. Well, Mike's, we'll get to predictions, I guess. We'll, we can come to that. Um, yeah. Well, why don't we go on to predictions? Oh, let's do predictions then. All right. Shall so- we? Presently, uh, Mike's Mike's uh, prediction accuracy is at a sixty-eight point seven five, so he's still hovering at sixty-nine. Uh, <laughs> we've got some uh, business to take care of here. Now, most importantly and most obviously, way the hell back in the second ever episode, Mike <laughs> predicted that Joyce would be kidnapped. Yay! <laughs> And finally she was. I couldn't believe when you when Mike predicted that, I'm like, well, obviously she does. I couldn't remember when it was though. I can't believe it's taken this long. It's such an obvious thing to kidnap Joyce, but she hasn't been kidnapped till now. I remembered. I remembered this episode was uh, Oh wow. I can't believe this counts as a kidnapping thing. Wait, why would it not? No, no, it totally is. I just feel like there's been so many other terrible things that have happened to Joyce. <laughs> this is the one that like counts is great. Okay. Uh Mike has some predictions about the Watchers Council we can talk about. I don't think we're probably going to confirm or deny anything here. I think uh, we can deny the one. Where, didn't Mike predict that the Watchers Council will apologize? That well, yeah, but, but hold on a second. So Mike predicted that there is a special school for Watchers that we will see in season three. Now, depending on your definition of school, there's no physical school building that we see. But is like three Watchers hanging out together a school? No. Like fish? <laughs> No, yeah, I don't think so. No, you're talking about being able to like actually see like a watcher's building. I yeah, want I them to cut to a building. Okay, all right. Okay. Uh, so the watch. So yeah. So Mike did predict that the Watchers Council will apologize in season three for not warning about Gwendolyn. Now oh, they certainly had an opportunity oh, here. Well, I made a mistake because clearly they're not going to. <laughs> really watch you were thinking of the Watchers Council as being some sort of nice group at that time. I thought they were a benevolent group, and I was wrong. They're not. Now, I think technically we need to leave this open because they still have plenty of season three left, oh, in which fuck. they could apologize. It's going to be just they're going to be the evil villain of this season. <laughs> Great. Okay. Now, this one's interesting. Season three, episode seven, Mike predicts that the Watcher Council is concerned with bigger shit than Buffy and Giles. I don't feel like we can confirm or deny that in this episode alone. I feel like they're mainly concerned with Buffy and Giles, but it certainly leaves the possibility mm. that they might be concerned with other things. I think it's hinting. It's definitely hinting at uh, Mike being correct with that. But. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, season three, episode 11, as we just mentioned, uh, Mike predicts and the actual thing that he predicted here is more fairy tale, more fairy tale characters fairy tale. as villains, <laughs> more fairy tale villains. <laughs> <laughs> do we see a fairy tale character as a villain dennis what do you think i guess not he doesn't go like if he had actually been like i'm not actually a vampire i'm a wolf right transformed right would have been a different thing um and would have been a little see. too grim probably that is it that's all we have to talk about so that is one confirmation no denials this episode so that's a net positive i suppose 
Congrats, uh, bringing Mike. Mike up to 69.2. So still an average of 69, but uh, uh, a little higher. We rounded off uh, still 69, but a little higher. All right. Well, I have new predictions. I'm going to make a uh, six for every <laughs> confirmation. Uh, so my predictions this episode, uh, Cordelia will betray Buffy. Oz will betray Buffy. I think, what's my Amy Rat prediction currently? Sorry, I was muted. Um, <clears throat> Amy will become human and have a scandalous reveal in season three. Fuck. Because I, I want to make a prediction that she'll be a rat for the rest of season three based on Willa's behavior. Currently. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm going to make a contradictory prediction. Okay. Amy will be a rat for the rest of season three. Uh, the new watcher will not be a good father figure. Giles will continue to train Buffy as if he was a watcher. And finally, Giles will be reinstated as a watcher. Do you have a um, time prediction on the last one? Ugh, damn it. Season three. This is all going to happen season three. New watcher will not be a good father figure season three. Giles will continue to train Buffy as if he was a watcher season three. Giles will be reinstated as a watcher season three. Okay. Wait, these are all season three bound? Yeah, yeah, that's all season three. They have to wrap this shit up because they don't know if they're going to get renewed. They have to figure this shit out. Okay. High school is a rite of passage. But the Watcher Council is such like a bunch of bullshit to drop on this show. <laughs> it's like, like, what direction do they want to take the show? Well, we'll use the Watcher Council to manipulate it now. Anyway. All right, that is six new open predictions. That's a good number of predictions, Mike. Great. Uh, all right, uh, let's move on to my kill count. Um, I counted two humans die and three vampires get poofed. Uh, so that's my kill count. So are we are we counting Malcolm Reed from Star Trek Enterprise twice? We are. Cool. I love uh, what you're doing right now. I love it. Uh, that's another Star Trek ding going on. <laughs> Obviously, you don't have to call it out. Like I do re-listen to these shows when I uh, put the cues in. Uh, all right. Um, recommendations. Um, so since Kralik killed and ate his mother, I was like, well, he's Ed Gein. Obviously, every serial killer movie is based on Ed Gein. Right. Um, so I will recommend, because of that, Psycho and the first two Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies. Um, and I will also recommend the movie Deranged, um, which we played once at Atomic Age Cinema. Uh, I call that one. It's more specifically about Ed Gein. It's not like... It's trying to do the like real-life one. Um, and then I'm also going to recommend two... Um, fairly recent independent horror movies that are about serial killers. Um, I'm going to recommend uh, the movie Found by Scott Shermer, uh, which is about a kid who finds out his brother's a serial killer. Uh, it's really good. It was made by people that John and I know. Um, I recommend it. Um, and I also recommend the movie Mania, which is, um, according to the director, the, tag, the log line is a fucked up lesbian horror story or lesbian love story maybe but it's like um it's good it's like if one of your partner one partner is a serial killer and the other's trying to like keep shit under wraps oh god uh, hey actually i watched it at a film fest and it really made me feel like i 
I had just come off of doing like a lot of caregiving at the time. And I was like, I can't, I can understand this like character really trying to keep this shit together, but it's like, you can't even take a bathroom break cause she's going to kill somebody. <laughs> so <clears throat> questions for those films. What year is, which year is mania? Uh, mania was 2015. I think um, okay, found what- is like 2012 maybe. Oh my gosh, because those are popular movie names and there's years, like there's oh, yeah. three every year um, for Mania. Found, it would be Found, period. When you look it up, Found with a period. And Mania uh, was directed by Jessica Cameron, if that helps you find it. Uh, found is 2012. Cool, got it. Thank you. Yep. All right, and you can find those on our um, website under recommendations. All right. Thank you guys so much. You've made it through another episode of Buffy Virgin. Uh, once again, I have done You are amazing. <laughs> Whoever you are. <laughs> uh, you made it through a tough one. Um, so I, I'm Dennis St. John. Uh, you can find me on my website, Dennis Comics, on my Patreon, Dennis St. John. I'm on Twitter, it's Dennis Comics. Uh, and you can buy my book, The Land of Many Monsters and Many More Monster Tales on Amazon. Um, and you can find Buffy Virgin on Twitter at Buffy Virgin Pod, Instagram Buffy Virgin, Facebook slash Buffy Virgin. Um, anything else anybody wants to promote or did I miss? No, just thank you for sitting through it. We all really appreciate it. Woo. We love doing it. Love hanging out. Uh, next week is the Zeppo. We're going to uh, go from dark to light. We're gonna oh, good. Finally. <laughs>